what held me there is that you are seeing people who are in despair and who are suffering, whose lives are being changed by what you're sharing with them. Oh, wow. Okay. Hello and welcome to uh, We're Talking About Rabbits. That's this podcast brought to you by First Things Foundation. This podcast is where we dig into things theological, historical, psychological, philosophical, and today we do it as a part of our Immersionship series. That's right. That's this series where we look at things deeply immersed, usually human beings, who jump into the deep end, get turned upside down, and somehow are better for it. Navy SEALs, First Things Foundation field workers, test pilots, reggae artists, and lots of other people, including today, we talked to Jeremy Firth. Jeremy Firth was a Mormon missionary. He no longer is a Mormon. You'll hear his story. He's going to talk to you about what it was like to knock on doors and have people tell you all day long, go away. On the Immersion Ship series, what are Jeremy Firth, how are you? Welcome, man. Thanks for coming on. I'm, well, I'm, I'm great. Thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be here. A little nervous, but uh, I'm, I, I'm, I love your show, so I'm excited to be able to talk to you. No, so it's really good to have you on. You came through after hearing some podcasts and getting involved. You're a guy who's understanding this old world, new world, because for today, one of the things we want to get into is this concept of immersing within a faith as a missionary. And the faith was Mormonism. Yes. And yeah. since that time, what I'm really fascinated with, what I'm really happy to have you here is since that time, you also have a perspective of becoming an Orthodox convert. And so there's a mm. lot to be taking apart in terms of our series on to immerse because you're immersing now as we know about this other thing orthodoxy but tell us about well just tell us about growing up and then how you went on this mormon mission and what it meant to you as you were going in that direction well we weren't religious at all you know when i was really young and then my parents got divorced when i was 10 and and then my mom kind of went through a renewal where she wanted to be faithful. Like she she grew up Mormon. Okay. So she wanted to be faithful. So she met a guy who also wanted to be faithful Mormon and they wanted to kind of start a new life together. They got married when I was 11 and, uh, and I went to live with my mom at that time. Like I was living with my dad and then they got married. So I went to live with my mom and, you know, she started going to church and, you know, we're like in Mormonism, they baptize anyone who's eight or older. So they don't have infant baptism, but you have to be eight years old. Well, I was 11. So I was like, Oh, do you want to be Mormon? And I was like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> like I'd been to a Baptist church a few times with my stepmom and stuff, but I really didn't have a framework. But, uh, the, so the missionaries started coming over and teaching us when I was a kid, you know, where, where were and you growing up? Evanston, Wyoming at the time. And that mission, the, more, Evanston, the Mormon Wyoming. missionaries came there. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, they're, yeah, they're, they're basically everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, if you're in Antarctica, you might have a hard time, you know, you, they won't knock on your door there, <laughs> but pretty much everywhere, maybe not China, but pretty much everywhere else they're going to be there. Uh, no, not Iran, but anyway. But so your mother, yeah, your mother knew about them. 
And yeah, yeah. She was, was Mormon. Mormon. Right. Like, so she okay. grew up Mormon. So she knew all about it. So she just wanted to know if we wanted to join. And and I I was kind of like ambivalent about it until it got to there. It's called it, at the time it was called the fourth discussion, which is they were talking about their they're basically their it's more than their eschatology, but it's basically their eschatology. Mm-hmm. So where, where we came from. So they believe that we were they They believe in the, um, uh, what's the Pelagianism where we were spirits before. And then we came in. Right. Like second uh, to this life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after this life, and we're like, okay, so then there's spirit prison, spirit hell, but that's just a temporary place until final judgment. And then at final judgment, there's the three kingdoms in the kingdom of God. Uh, and, you know, the top kingdom is for the people who have been faithful and been baptized in the Mormon church. Uh, and that's where you get to be together with your family forever. And like that, that thing, like because of the chaos of having gone through a divorce, like the idea that I could be with my family forever was really like and this appealing. Was, these were eight-year-old ideas that you were downloading. And this is when you were eight or nine learning this. I was 11. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was 11 at the time. And I was like, yeah, okay, of course I want to do that. So I got baptized and, and I became very active. Like I started reading the scriptures right from the beginning. I was reading, mm-hmm. we would read together as a family every day. Uh, and then, you know, I was involved heavily all what through, are those like, scriptures look like they, they're the same they're canonical scriptures as per orthodoxy no they're different no so it's the they use the king james version of the bible and then they use the book of mormon they have the doctrine and covenants which was a collection of basically revelations and letters that were written by primarily joseph smith mm-hmm. um, while he was alive and then they have another book called the pearl of great price which is very interesting. Uh, they have in there. They have seven chapters. It's called the seven chapters of Moses that are basically like s- intended to be a replacement for the first five chapters of Genesis. And they have another three chapters of what's called the Book of Abraham that he said he found that was f- written by Abraham about the life of Abraham. Yeah. So, yeah. but but that's kind of a we're getting kind of off in the details. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's interesting. But, but anyway. so these are the things you're learning, you're moving forward yeah. and you're heading yeah. toward this this mission which yeah. as you everybody knows about this and I think anybody who's even an American who barely knows what Mormonism is probably knows what a Mormon missionary is. And yeah. that's something you saw coming in your future that you thought, yeah man, this is this is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, well there's a lot of cultural pressure, especially at that time there was where like Every young man was expected to serve a mission, right? Yeah. And and they teach all the girls only marry a um, returned missionary. So that, that's like that's the proper way to put pressure, <laughs> right? No that, premarital sex that will work. <laughs> <laughs> all men serve. Girls only marry men who serve. And it worked on me. So <laughs> that's so. Yeah, I mean, I. All through high school, we had religious training where they, they call it seminary here, um, where, you know, it's like uh, we took uh, the Old Testament one year, the New Testament the next year, the Book of Mormon one year, and then the Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price the fourth year. So each year in high school, we studied the scriptures, and it was a daily class of like an hour of inst- religious instruction in, in the scriptures. 
So I was deeply embedded in that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and was active in church. I loved it. It gave me a lot of structure. I, I avoided a lot of the pitfalls of high school. I didn't get any, I didn't have any addictions. I didn't have any, oh, that was my daughter. Sorry. Yeah, that's awesome. But, uh, back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was trying to be spry. Awesome. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I avoided a lot of the pitfalls and, you know, was taught like the basics of asceticism, you know, daily scripture study and prayer and so what good. all right so go go to the go to the missionary part because what, okay. what i'm trying to figure out in part so this is helpful because we we all walk through this context with you because what we're going to do is dive i want to hear about the dive okay. the dive is something okay. like getting on the plane right yeah, in yeah. terms of this series this sub series of ours there's something i know there's a moment coming up because we talked a little bit about it. there's a moment when you get underwater from this long jump in Mm-hmm. And you're a little upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember when that moment came for you in terms of being a Mormon missionary? Was there something about the process where you said, yeah, right now I am not comfortable? Mm, yeah, for sure. That I honestly got through the first like three months of my mission on pure adrenaline. I mean, just like you don't know what's going on. You're upside down. And confused, right? So the first month you go to a training center in Provo, Utah, and they teach you like the method of, that they use for teaching people and for tracking who you've talked to and how to schedule appointments and oh, lessons. Yeah, like you're yeah. learning the lessons that they use. There's, there were six discussions at the time and you're memorizing those and you're learning basically the framework that they want you to use to teach the gospel. And then, and then you get put in a plane. Well, I got to see my family one more time at the end of that. So that's the, this is probably like difficulty. Number one, the only way I had of contacting my family was via letter, yeah. no phone calls. Yeah. So you do a phone call on mother's day and we could do a phone call on Christmas. Right. So I left in September. So I, I went in the mission and then I went out to Canada at the end of September. So I served in Toronto, Canada. Um, and Toronto is a very cosmopolitan city. There's, you know, I met people from over 110 countries because I started keeping track. Right. So I, I, I met a lot of people, but so that was, so one, I was going from rural to urban to you're on a mission. There's all these different rules. I was living with somebody else. You're with someone else 24 seven and don't get to pick who that person is. Right. You're, you have a companion, you're living with them, you're living together, you're eating together, you're studying scriptures together. And you're, you don't you're pick bunking, them. like it's the, you're not in a separate same room. Person. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Missionaries are to sleep in the same room, but not the same bed. That's like the, exp- that's, that's a rule right out of the handbook that we used to. Not same bed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you remember this so, well, because this was different. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it was really hard. And then, and it was okay. And then my first companion and I got along really well. And then my second companion and I did not get along well at all. And, and I went from, okay, to, and then, and this is at about November or December. So we're just heading into Christmas. I'm getting super homesick. And I'm with a guy I can't stand. And I, I mean, I literally remember standing on the, standing on the subway platform, like contemplating shoving him into the subway. Like it was dark. Yeah, that's he's not your favorite person at that point. No, <laughs> no, no. What are the lessons that you're learning about your Mormonism that you're breaking at this point? Because aren't you supposed to be meeting people with sort of fashioned as joyous Christian Mormons, and then you're wanting to 
like kill your roommate. <laughs> was there some, was there some, um, uh, some tension within you about what you were doing? Was it difficult to, yeah. to figure out why this was happening to you that way? This tension? Yes, definitely. Well, there's a, there's always a feeling like there's a big problem that Mormon missionaries have, and it is taking things way too personally as far as like how the work's going. Right. So at that time, we're not like people are just evading us or they'll make a, an appointment and then they would just skip the appointment. They wouldn't be there. Yes. Yes. And that so happens. you're, you're constantly dealing with that. And, and there's the constant rejection because we went door to door. So you've got all day is filled with rejection. It's cold and miserable outside. And then people who do say they're interested are no longer interested. And you go home and want to kill your companion, right? So you can't get through. And, and you're out 12 hours a day, right? We went, we woke up at 6.30. We went out the door by 9.30. And we stayed out until 9 o'clock at Did night. Did you have bicycles? No. We had bus passes. Because we were, we were in the area. city. Yeah. Yeah, we were in the city. So we had bus passes. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and there's no, like I was living on $200 a month Canadian, our rent was paid, but I was living on 200 a month Canadian and that pays for food and laundry and clothes and everything you need. So was there a public face you had to keep up? What was happening inside in terms of the story you were telling yourself versus the experience you were actually having? Was there, uh, it was less difficult at that time because we weren't teaching a lot. You're and, just getting, rejections. you know, other mission, right. We're just getting rejections. So like, so I'm already kind of down, but I'm kind of a naturally optimistic person anyway. So it wasn't like, I, I didn't really take it personally that we weren't teaching a lot of people. I just was looking forward to how long do I have to be with this guy? Cause basically like every two to three months, they would rotate you either to a new area or they would rotate someone into the area. You know, so, so usually like they rarely moved both of you at the same time. Usually mm -hmm. you had a, like a, you had boundaries that you were working within and they was, they would, one person would be there and you would move in and you would work with them for a couple of months and then they would move them out and someone else would move in with you. So it was rotating that way. Mm -hmm. So I was basically just trying to, I was trying to grind it out, but I was very depressed. I was very depressed. And that I will say. Mormonism really didn't provide a lot of tools for dealing with that. Like the prayer that I've learned since being Orthodox, like learning how to pray as an Orthodox Christian is very different. Like Mormon prayer was very much just like asking for what you wanted. <laughs> At least, for, I mean, there was a lot of gratitude, you know, I mean, it, it, they, they definitely emphasize gratitude. Don't get me wrong. But it was all personal. It was all like whatever comes in your head, like whatever you're saying. It was more conversational. Right. It wasn't as meditational, for lack of a better word. You know, it wasn't as contemplative. Uh -huh. wasn't as deep. Right. It was more. It was all in the head. Right. There's no in the heart. Were you learning that prayer? It's one of the interesting things I learned uh, upon conversion, or really, it was within the you know the long journey that I'm still on was that prayer isn't for God, it's for you. Right. And that right. It, it's supposed to change metanoia, right? The idea yes. that we're doing, it's like asking God for something. It's just odd. It's already known. And so yeah, it's almost right. like a basketball practice. It's not, basketball practice is really for you, so you can be prepared for the actual game. Yes. And, and that's why the suffering 
is is so profound because it feels like I just want the game, but you have to go through this thing. And that wasn't the notion of prayer in 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 the Mormon world. No, they were kind of separate. I, I would say it's almost like the their religion is kind of psychologized a lot. Um, and it's very separated right so I'm, I'm trying to it's hard to put into words but like comparing it to my experience in orthodoxy mormonism is very much in the head and very anxious and i went through the very destructive cycle of extreme anxiety despair confession elation and i'm not using the right direction but you know right. despair and and then confession and then elation and then pride and then despair. <laughs> wow. And that was like, that is like the cycle of my mission, right? Like that cycle just played out in very deep ways. So like it, it went again, like after I got out of away from that companion, I kind of had some relief and I had some companions I got along with and got moved out into a, cause the area we were in as well was very foreign to me. Like I grew up in Utah. Okay. Largely. And when I got onto a bus, like it was the first time in my life I had not been the majority. Like I got on a bus and my companion and I were the only two white guys on the bus. Right. And I was like, like it was just very out of my element. And like everybody around me, yeah. they were all from Sri Lanka and India and Africa. And I didn't, I had never met anybody like that. I didn't know anybody. And you go to shake hands and they don't know what to do and you don't know what to do. And like, right. it's just, it's a, right. you know, you're, you're, we're right at the edge of old world, new world. And they had come from the old world. So they're trying to assimilate. Right. And we're bringing the new world to Canada, you know, in so stop our right there. American so imperialism did, way. In, in retrospect, with context, you could see, you, felt the Mormonism was the new world in terms of that mission that you were on. Were you trying to uphold sort of a new world in terms of the way we talk about on the show? Like when you would meet somebody from Sri Lanka, looking back now, right now, do you think of mm -hmm. yourself as sharing a new world ideology as a Mormon? Yes. That's what that is. Yes. What yeah. makes it that way in your mind? Where did they lose well, most? Most quote religions are tied somehow back to. I agree with you on Mormonism as a new world phenomenon, but why would you say yeah. that? I wonder. Well, so they have symbolism and they have a rich grant. I would say this: they have a rich um, library of symbols, but no theology or their theology doesn't really tie it together very well. They have kind of a superficial understanding of their symbolism because they don't talk explicitly about it largely because they're told don't talk about anything in the temple. So they just kind of like blanket over everything, which I understand like from a sacred point of view and a holy point of view, I completely understand that, but it's at the expense of understanding what it is that they're like, right. even because they, there is a participatory notion of, what happens in the temple, right? Like you're physically doing it, but the thing like you're, you're going through and they're presenting things and then you're changing your robes and you know, there's, there's some, there's, there's a bodily aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a ritual for sure. But the, the, the idea is that like they're most of their religion is very propositional. It's not experiential. And then when they do say, Oh, you do feel the spirit. It's emotionalism. Right. So it's like this 
oh, you feel this, you feel, it's, it's like hot in the room and everyone feels some pressure in there. And, uh, and you know, one person might be crying and if you're crying, that's the spirit. And you pick up, everybody picks up on that spirit of yeah. crying. Yeah. Yeah. Spirit yeah. of sadness. Yeah. So the, but the, the world aspect too, is just like, I mean, America, like looking back now too, Mormonism is deeply Protestant. And even though they claim to be recovering like the original church, all of their notions are still deeply Protestant. There's no imagery in the chapel. Uh, They, they don't believe in the real presence. They, you know, like it's, it's very very Protestant. And, and I think, and then, you know, being from Utah, we kind of have this distinct culture within America. Like Utah is what America was 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. So we are that, but we are American for sure, which is too, still a very new world. So we have respect for tradition. People here still celebrate, like people go out and put their launch chairs on the street the night before the 4th of July, 4th of July parade mm-hmm. to hold their spot. And the families are all out there and they're throwing the candy and there's the parade and the floats. So it's, they're still deeply involved civically and they still believe in the traditions, but they also fall prey to the spirit of the times a lot more than orthodoxy. I mean, the spirit of the times is what eats the Mormon church. And that's happening now, you think? Oh, yeah. Well, just in my lifetime, they went from being adamantly against shopping on Sunday or going to restaurants on Sunday because you were compelling someone else to break the Sabbath. Like, they were like, keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Now they own a shopping center a multi-billion dollar shopping center that's open on Sundays. Mm. And that's happened in my lifetime. So that's a big shift. Yeah. We could go. We might return to that in a second. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. There's I'm sorry. I, I keep kind of wandering. No, off, no, but I on. like that. Okay. Because I think most people in, in this audience and just in general, when they hear about Mormonism would think that they're fighting the tide because, you know, there's this old notion that the, Mormons have many wives in their old fashioned. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't have, we don't, they haven't done polygamy since the right. like, late you know, 1800s. This is all dumb anyway. stuff. Right. But it's right. Well, right. there there's, I guess there's some little sex that still try to hold on, but the point is correct. Is, there are some spit off a spinoff sex. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, modern secular people, Mormonism and weirdly gets lumped in sometimes with like, the Mennonites or the Qua- uh, the uh, the uh, the cats in Pennsylvania. Why am I suddenly? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, the Amish, the, the Amish, and yeah. I, I don't think that's true. But what I'm saying is, is your report from the edge is very interesting because that's really not. That doesn't sound like that's what's happening in Utah. No, no. It's. I mean, it's definitely. How do I put it? Like I said, it's it, It's like they're just. They're just kind of holding the back end of the Overton window, but they move with it. You know what I mean? I get it. They're in the, like they're, they're always just in the, 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 the slowest part of the Overton window, but they move with the Overton window. So let's go back to your immersion. So you're, 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 you're knocking on doors. You're rejected. Yeah. There's deep discomfort in that, but there's also this profound disillusion with your roommate. Yeah. Um, are there moments during this upside down time in your life 
And again, upside down doesn't mean bad. It just means you're out of your element. Are there moments when you can see a good reason to stay in the upside down? Or yeah. are you just trying to get out of there as a young no. kid? Do you remember? No. What you're seeing, what you see too, what holds, what held me there is that you are seeing people who are in despair and who are suffering, whose lives are being changed by what you're sharing with them. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. I mean, people who, like we had a guy who moved from his family from Guyana and he had been a steel worker in Guyana and, and he moved to Canada because of the political turmoil. He went to Canada as a refugee and he couldn't get a permit to work there for whatever reason. So he had been in an apartment on welfare for like three years. He was going crazy. He was losing his mind because he was used to being physical and working hard. Right. And we brought him a daily ritual and we brought him weekly church and we brought him a community and he latched on and brought his family and like his life was transformed they there was somebody in the in the ward is their word for a parish and somebody in the ward who got him a job and he got the work and you know like what's not to love at that point yeah you see that and you go okay i can do this like i okay it's worth it like like I'm, that's why I'm here. I am here to suffer. I am here to lose myself in the work. You know, that was the phrase. I am here to lose myself in the work. So shut Did up. You question, All right. Were you question the teachings ever during this? Deep oh emotion? yeah. Oh, well, because so, so on my mission, I don't know if it was like this in all missions, but in my mission, you get out there and there's like, it's almost like you're kind of inducted into like a Gnostic kind of like, Oh, have you heard about this? Oh, I have you heard about this? Oh, I have this. Like at that time, this was like early, early internet, like kind of pre-internet. And so like people just had photocopies of like books of stuff that was like not widely known in Mormonism, but was still Mormonism, you know, mm -hmm. like the esoteric kind of teachings. Mm -hmm. And you, so you start getting introduced to the esoterica of Mormonism and, and the occultic ties and the Freemasonry ties and, you know, the occult symbolism and, and you start getting tied into that. And, and, and then some of the theology is wild and yes, you just go, and you just go, man, how do you like, that's where, and then they, they make these, the hard part for me was the, like they say, this is the literal history of the American people in ancient America. And this is the literal, 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 like they kept using that word, right? Like one time Joseph Smith walking in the forest with some guys, he sees a skull and he picks it up and he goes, oh, this was, I can't remember the guy's name, Zelf. And he was a Nephite, like from the Book of Mormon, like this guy fought in the Book of Mormon, right? And you're just like, oh, <laughs> what because <laughs> they, they get in some arguments about geography as it's described in the book of mormon versus geography as it's explained by joseph smith and did you things get squirrely let's do this real quick i want to ask this question when we come back i'm gonna take a quick quick break um for sure. a quick break for a little announcement but i want to ask this when we come back so uh okay. hold on one second quick break this month and for the next three months, I am going to be pestering you. I want you to be a monthly donor. I want you to hit the link that comes with this podcast. You'll find it in the show notes. It takes you directly to a page that allows you to donate a little bit of money each month. A lot of bit of money would be even better. When you do that, you create momentum. 
It's spiritual momentum found in the form of a click. It is because what happens is, is those dollars go to our field workers. So they eat, sleep, and serve people all around the world, including right here in America. Do that and watch their projects grow. And you can talk to these people directly. You can speak to them directly about the projects they're building, but we need you, I need you to support them. I need you to become a monthly donor. We're a teeny little organization that's growing and has grown. So we're not so teeny anymore. And each time we grow, we add beautiful people to this team. And those people need to be supported. Everyone's yelling at me to ask you because I hate to, but I am. Become a monthly donor. Do it now. Look at the show notes. Click. Give. We are thankful. So here's, here's my question. When you're hearing the skull story, and by the way, I think all Christians, I was confronted by this when I became Orthodox and had a lot to do with um, the, the miracles and saints. Mm-hmm. You're confronted with this. You're 20 years old or whatever. Are you confiding with other Mormons that like, wait a minute, hold on. This is, this is nutty. I don't really, really buy this. And then are you still walking off the bus and into someone's apartment and to tell them about it? Like, how's that working within you? So that's a that's a great question, and and I would frame it this way: I took a lot of pride in knowing those things and still feeling like I was integrating it. Like I was, I did have like the Gnostic pride of like I know these secret teachings, and I'm still like firm believer. Like that's why I'm here is because they have those deeper beliefs, right? So like. Like from like you know Joseph Smith like a lot of Mormons don't know this Joseph Smith thought that Jesus Christ was married and had children and that he was a direct descendant of Jesus Christ right so and and that's what caused the first major schism in Mormonism after Joseph Smith died Emma Smith said it should be by blood because Joseph Smith is a direct descendant of Christ oh, that's that fight that's that debate oh and yeah and then and then Brigham Young was like no it's by seniority. And I'm the most senior apostle, so I should be the next prophet. Right. So that was the very, so, but that's like most Mormons don't know that, but I knew that. And I still went with the Brigham Young side, but that was what actually tore me apart was like toward the end, I was either going to be, I was either going to go be a fundamentalist Mormon, which was like the polygamy and the, mm-hmm. the old way, like the original, you know, Joseph Smith founding, or I was going to leave it entirely because I could see that the modern church had completely drifted from what Joseph Smith thought. And they had tried to, they had tried to like they, the spirit of ecumenism hit the Mormon church hard in the late eighties, early nineties. They actually reconciled with the Catholic church and because they had taught that the Catholic church was the great and abominable horror. For For sure. For sure. Until, yeah, I mean, they were just like the Baptists you know, until yeah. until the late 80s, early 90s, and then all of a sudden they reconciled with the Catholic Church, and the spirit of ecumenism took over, and 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 now they've tried to, like, appeal to the world by being more worldly, you know, with the shopping center and the, you know, mm. the TV commercials and the media and all that stuff. Right. So, Which is, so right. I, it's interesting the way you're using that. This is the spirit of ecumenism. Yeah, as far as, the, you know, from their frame of mind, like exactly. from their frame yeah. of, 
frame of view. It's an accusation where they're trying to make peace with all of these other Christian groups and saying, oh, well, we're all alike. Let's focus on what we have in common. Let's not focus on the differences. They're not really important. You know, this, you know, the spirit of ecumenism. Sure. But so, 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 so anyway, for me, the way I read, like, yeah, it was hard, but I, I felt fine with it until after I got off my mission and I was kind of separated from it for a while like not so intense you know like i i left my mission and i was i was way into yeah i'll be a mission right i'll be a mormon for life and then i kind of ran into the world again and then you know that's when the um honestly like eastern religion started appealing to me a lot more mysticism like i started meditating i started getting in martial arts the matrix came out that was probably what really like the movie the matrix that's is what took me out of the church. Yeah, that took me out of Mormonism. Why? Because I got involved in e- I got involved in martial arts. I started having mystical experiences, and I could not. I couldn't. There was no context for that in the Mormon theology. There was no context for the mystical experience. So the thing, I want to pick that up. I want to pick up that right there. But the thing that I heard though is that the immersion shift. So we do this in first things. Like we have people going through a process. We name the process. This is going to happen. And then the third mm-hmm. month's going to look like this. And then the sixth month. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not science, but we, we know. And you probably shouldn't tell them. Oh, by the way, that's, <laughs> a really tell- good, that's a really good point. It's sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's not helpful, especially when you're in some of the, the less... Um, uh, I don't know, less comfortable locations like West Africa. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the process is really tough. And if you know mm-hmm. it's coming, it can help you. But for some people, when they know it's coming, it's actually less helpful. But it right. feels like when you got finished with the part of this uh, that we're talking about on this show, the mission part, the mm-hmm. immersion into this crazy, difficult job, which is knocking on doors and getting rejected all day long, which is very fascinating. Right. I mean, I still want to hear like what people told you. Maybe you can give Sure. Yeah, we can that. talk about that. Yeah. It doesn't feel like, well, let me ask you something. Was there, were you moving toward transformation? Was there metanoia in that immersion process called your, your mission at the, in the Mormon church? Was there something that happened to you? It just feels yes. like you were bolstered in what you already were perhaps, no? Well, <laughs> Definitely suffered from the spirit of pride. Like that was pride was like the biggest thing. And I, I took pride in my knowledge. Like I took pride I in see, knowing I, I, I had the scriptures memorized. I had the discussions memorized. I had, I, I knew all of these esoteric things. I, I took immense pride in that. And that, that pride really set me up for the fall later. But so there was a sense of, I did gain a sense of prayer in that I learned to ignore most of the noise in my mind, right? Like those repetitive, like nonsense and learn to really like settle in. Like if I had a decision to make, I could pray about it and feel like I'm, I had some sense of peace about how I was moving forward. Right. And (laughs) what's ironic about that, Looking back, it all makes sense. But at that time, it was really hard to explain to someone how I I was praying and felt like I should leave the church. 
And they were just like, what? <laughs> well, you know, it's telling you that, right? And I'm just like, that's wild. No, no, I know what's telling me that. And it's, it's the same thing that told me to go is telling me to leave. And, and I couldn't deny that. What is it? What was it? I have just always wanted to know the truth. Like, I just always wanted that. Like, that's what I've always been looking for. Like, it was always like, I want to, like, I want to know how it is. I don't want to know how it should be. I don't want to know how someone thinks it is. I don't want to know about that person's experience about how they saw it was. I want to know how it is and I want to experience it. And through martial arts, I started getting exposed to participating in a tradition. And I wanted that, and I didn't know that there was a way to do that in the Christian framework. Like, I didn't know about orthodoxy. I had no idea it existed. The only, the only apologetics that Mormons have is in response to Catholicism and the claims of a Catholicism. They have no way to respond to orthodoxy because most of them don't know it exists. I mean, that may have changed now. You know, that's probably changed now because of the Internet. But I'm saying at that time, all the, apolog all, all the apologetics were toward Catholicism, which lost its own, they also went through the loss of mysticism. Right. Not right. They unlike, killed all of their monasteries. Yeah. Not unlike yeah. Protestant apologies, apologetics are always against Catholics for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I wanted, I was looking for a mystical experience and I was willing to go. So I, when I left the church, I got into Scientology and I got into. Buddhism. I got into Taoism. I actually have a Taoist tattoo on my arm. Uh, Wu Wei. It's it means action, non-action. Means doing things without artifice or you know working with nature, not against it. So I was seeking the mystical experience. I got into meditation and I got into the new age. I got into the occult. All in of some that. in some ways, it almost is like you weren't seeking mystical experiences. You were seeking the truth, which led you to something like a mystical experience, because it feels like you're. Your life, as you're describing it, which is really great for this immersion series, it feels like it's a series of immersions, deep, profound, mm -hmm. letting go, being upside down, in order for something like the truth to be known. Does yes. that sound accurate? Yes, to the horrible chagrin of my wife, to be honest with is that, you. Is that right? So it's Lord have mercy, she, we've been married for 20 years. And uh, this year, this is our 20th anniversary. And um, she's followed me through all of this chaos, you know, because I, we mentioned this offline, but I was also involved in the poker industry for like seven years, <laughs> surrounded by degenerates, surrounded by gamblers, right? So, Which is all, that's another part of our conversation. So, so it's always, but I've always had the desire to know was true like i've always been that like i've always been like you know all the conspiracy theories i've read about them all of the you know robert anton wilson i read his was that given to you at birth was that something like a, a spirit that you inherited from your family that it came to you in way or did you cultivate it this this desire yes both yeah, my, my father is insatiably curious as well he was a deep was a well-read man and very wise and and i looked up to him a lot and and 
learned that and I was encouraged in my curiosity. Um, and then I got a lot of attention for being smart, which was where the pride stuff came from. And that really fed that, but it was all propositional. Like I didn't, you know, the martial arts was the only real place that I had experienced, like getting out of my head. And, and that's what I really liked that. Like it really brought me a a lot of sense of peace because I could learn how to turn off my mind. Wow. And relax. Is that you happening know, to you now in terms of orthodoxy? Are you learning as far to as, turn off your mind? Like, is, is yeah. That- so, yeah. I, I really, what I've been really trying to focus on is reading the lives of the saints. Right. So, so obviously there's this rich history of theology that's just like sitting like this glowing, you know, this glowing shelf of books in my office. Right. Where I'm just like, <laughs> and my priest is like, he said, for every book of theology you read, you need to read two books that are the lives of a saint, right? A modern saint, preferably. Smart. Smart. And that's really helped ground me in seeing the faith lived rather than building up this infrastructure in my mind of how I'm going to argue with the next person I talk to. Right. right. So, what do you call it? That's the 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 temptation of propositionalism or something right oh yeah i mean i am super prone to that right i, I yeah I, I that is my biggest probably spiritual downfall is, is is the pride and the the seeking seeking to systematize and structure and overanalyze everything because so, i want like the world here's the thing this is what it is john it comes from a deep anxiety a deep, deep anxiety of feeling like the world is not predictable and not certain. And that if I systematize it, I can minimize that. Wow. Which is pure delusion. It's pure delusion. Thank you. Wow. And can I speak to but that? It's hard. Yeah. So yeah. This is the, this is, you're helping me literally as I th- hear you, I'm thinking. So for, for our work, this is one of the hardest things and I'm going to hit play and record. I'm going to record what we're recording. I'm going to play what you just said. It is what we're trying to do, which is face the delusion that so many of us are brought up on and that we're sent overseas or to Appalachia or to the quote, poor people to fix, which is their inability to play the propositional game. You guys are so dysfunctional because you don't have proper plans and you don't, you don't have the world properly engaged with your propositional mind so you can order it in a way that you can get quote healthy or rich. And what, what I'm realizing is, is our work is actually an attempt to your It's an attempt to strip those propositions down in ourselves so that we can meet people actually as they live because nobody lives propositionally. They think that way, but they don't live that way. There's, right. I can get in a car right now, Jeremy. I really wouldn't get into a car knowing what I know about the atomistic, crazy, up, up and down nature of the world because I could die. I could literally just, I would just shut down eventually if I actually lived propositionally. Let's be honest. I think Correct. that's what happened with COVID, right? On some level, is yes. people were trying to take the data and then make all of these really pronounced rational converse decisions based on the data and then 
all around them, they were actually living a world with, almost where COVID was in some ways not even in existence. In other words, the mm -hmm. proposition was the danger is here. The danger is here. I'm living in it. I'm scared. This is going to be terrible. But actually, you just watch people walk across the street and everything was fine. They weren't living in their actual world. They were living in a yeah. propositional world. Does that sound yes. right to you? Yeah. And that's the cause of anxiety in my mind. That's the cause of anxiety. It's right? also like, the cause. It's the cause of what happens to f folks like you when on mission, when no one will listen to you, because the yes. proposition is is they should. When our in yes. our work, when the field worker doesn't produce the proper project, the proposition was you should have a good project. When in reality, no, you shouldn't. You should have a relationship based on love, and that's it. There's really nothing outside of the relationship because that's where the reality is found. And so right. I don't know. You're really you yeah. got me to think, man. I don't know if I'm thinking properly about this, but no, I, I hear you. Well, and, and and I will say this, right? So toward the end of your mission, you learn to shut up about being an American and you start asking people about their stories, right? Like I heard unbelievable stories of suffering of people who gave up everything to get to Canada just for one last shred of hope, right? Like I'll just tell you a quick little story, like a quick little anecdote that that was one of the life-changing things that happened to me. And I had only been on my mission like six months, you know, and and we went into this guy, these it was like five guys that were living together, and two of them were brothers, and the other two were cousins, right? So they were all related. And they were all our age or right around there, you know, plus or minus five years. And they had fled from Iraq and had to go through the mountains into Turkey and get to Turkey and then come to Canada, right? And they didn't have any furniture. They just had rugs, you know, which was kind of common. That was like for the lower class, for the lower income people that we were meeting with that had just gotten there, you know, they had nothing. Yeah. So we were just sitting on rugs on a hardwood floor. And, and, you know, that's another nice thing about Canada is everyone takes their shoes off when you go into someone's house. So we had taken, my, I had taken my shoes off and I had a hole in my sock on the bottom. Yeah. And we were talking to them, and, and they were telling us their story, and we were telling them a little bit about who we were. And the guy saw the whole sock. He's like, hold on. He goes to his room, and he comes out, and he hands me a pair of, hmm. he hands me a pair of socks, you know. <laughs> and I was like, please, I, I, I don't need socks. I've got, I've got 30 pair back in my house. They're all brand new. I don't. Please. And he said, he said, you can't, you can't leave my house. I can't let you leave my house with those yeah. socks. And, and so I took the socks, right. And, and I went home and I got all the socks I had and I put them in a bag and I got some other clothes that I didn't need. And I put them in a bag and I just took them and I knocked on the door and then we ran. Right. <laughs> I love it. I get it. hundred percent. hundred percent. And, those are the things that kept me on my mission because I learned hospitality and that is okay. I, I want to bring this up with you. You're a person. I think if I were going to say the biggest difference between new world and old world is the biggest difference is understanding the roles that both parties play in hospitality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is, there is a ritual there like we would knock on the door of of muslims and they would go oh your teachers from god please come in please please come 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 
sit down. A whole family. Everybody, come, 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 come. Come, teachers of God are here. Whew. Everybody whew, sits down. Silent. Everybody's looking up, paying attention, right? Wife instantly hops up, goes in the kitchen. You can hear her tea boiling, you know, all the stuff. You're talking. Out comes the tray, silver tray, covered, beautifully arrayed fruit, vegetables, crackers, cheese, cookies, tea, beautiful, amazing tea. My companion should have a really hard time drinking it because Mormons are not supposed to drink tea. I'm like, you got to do this. is <laughs> You better you drink that tea, bro. You drink this tea. No, yeah. no, you don't. Because oh, don't. They don't under, you don't understand. You can't do that. Yeah, no. So, so that was a big, that was, that right there is a big tension with Mormon missionary work, right? Like Mormons do not understand hospitality. They do in a way, but they, it's a very American hospitality, right? So anyway, I think, I think you doing like, I haven't heard you really talk about hospitality specifically, in, oh, you know, oh, like got, I heard, we got, we got a I heard Richard, like, like Good, good, because you and Richard Rowland talked about it somewhere. He was talking about, like, his Chinese relatives and say hello to the grandparents first and then the parents and then, the, you know, and you have to, when you call them, you need something, you have to go through the news and everything like that. Like, the hospital, the role of both parties in hospitality, you have to be a good host, you make them comfortable, and they have to be a good guest by accepting your offers, right? And just like that, that is a beautiful dance that is all but dead in America. It's almost gone. And, and this, even my grandparents had that. Let's riff on this okay. for a minute. So here's a here's a couple ideas. Um, so first things, man, you're right in the, uh, as they say in jazz, you're right in the pocket, man. So we have opened up a restaurant. The reason that it is manifest as a restaurant, the reason why it has flash as a restaurant is because it's our offices. And why is it our offices? Because what we realized and what I realized living in the Georgia Republic, I could tell a story and I, I too would cry right now. It was really, it's very similar and it has to do with shoes and, shoes and socks. We, we took food to, to widows and one of these widows, mm. um, it was the same story you just told. Mm. And I was mm. overwhelmed because she, they threw us the Supra and the Supra is this dinner sometimes called the Capi. In other words, the manifestation of our work is a restaurant because a restaurant properly done is hospitality writ large. Yes. Uh, and, and what you realize is, is, is the physics, bro, the physics in the human relationship is built upon the notion of hospitality. Like all of our physics is ground, all of the physics of our existence. In other words, when I say physics, what I'm trying to say is it's the rules that govern our existence, me and you, me and this guy on the street, whatever. It's all bound in the notion of hospitality. And what is a hospital? What is hospitality? Well, of course, it comes from the old to to be a hospital is a place of health. Now, if you think mm -hmm. about it, as my wife always tells me, she's a palliative, uh, um, she's a nurse practitioner in palliative care. Mm -hmm. She became a nurse practitioner so she could get healthy, which speaks to your the dual mm -hmm. nature. The, the, mm. dual, the insistence on a duality that's essential in any, in other words, you have to be able to receive in order to properly gain health in the, in the hospitality relationship. And mm. I saw this when I tried to give a local Tamada, that's the head of the table at a Georgian dinner. I tried to pay him like, like give him a big wad of money at the end of one of these dinners. 
Jeremy, he cursed. He said, no, don't, I will. He was like, he used the F word. Mm -hmm. I will effing kill you. Take that out of my hand. Cause he was like holding, mm -hmm. holding mm -hmm. my hand because I wasn't allowing him to be what he needed to be, which was to gain health yes. through offering. And I was short circuiting this and we do it all the time. And it's out of pride. And here's what I mean, because we imagine they need something we have. No, we need something mm -hmm. they have, which is the opportunity mm -hmm. to listen and serve. And so I'm really in line with, that's a podcast I got coming out. That, what is hospitality old and new? It's such a mm. rich topic. It's such a rich it is. Topic. It's, it's well, and this, this ties into the new convert experience in orthodoxy too, right? So like Americans coming in, this is part of the problem. This is part of the tension that I feel when you come into orthodoxy as an American and especially, you know, like my God, my godfather is Romanian. Right. And he kind of started kind of keying me in on this. And he's just like, look, he's like, you're coming in, you're a guest in someone's home. Okay. You need to think about that. He's like, we've been here for, we've been here for 2000 years and we're happy to have you. You're welcome to be here, but there are certain ways that this household runs. There are certain things that happen. There are certain things that must happen and there are certain, and you don't know any of it. And it will be a very long time before you know the smallest thing. So shut up <laughs> and come be a part of it. Participate. Bring food to the potluck. Come to services. Come clean the church. Come to the liturgy on your name day. And shut up. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it is the hospitality of remembering that you are a new guest in an old home. Yeah. It's a tradition and a That's culture awesome. that needs to be respected. And, and I think that that mindset gets completely lost on, on the modern American mind, right? Like they don't, they just go, oh, I've got, I know things about the Bible. And oh, it was, well, let's talk about that. They're just like. Or, or no. worse. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're describing someone, you know, a zealot. But yeah, or, right. or, or worse, just Joe Blow, secular person who's just decided through three or four experiences within the last week how to run his house for a week. Like everything's so fleeting. Like, but wait, wouldn't mm. you want to draw on the tradition of your father? But why would I do that? Well, this gets to a whole nother conversation about immersionship and what it means to be in a, to, to immerse in America, I think is to acquire the propositional mind. And that's pretty freaky mm. if you think about it. In other words, it could be wow. that our country has spent 250 years developing and perfecting the propositional mind, which is, I want it, mm. I imagine it, I achieve it. Think, think about all, all right. that. That all took place in my mind without a single yep. relationship. Yep, that's pretty wild. Yep. We both have stories. That's a really good point. That speak yeah. to this. Yeah, yep. that's why I wanted. That's you a on very there. good. That's a very interesting point. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but you're exactly right. And and trying to reintroduce that to people. Right. They just look at you like you're crazy and you look at them like they're stupid. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the, they just go, why are you so wound up about this stuff? Right. Like, well, because we, like, because fall down and have some tea. You know? And you go, no, no, you don't understand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this stuff's important. This is urgent. We've got to, we've got to get seed in the poor lab facts before the rain comes. That's you know? right. That's right. Everybody. And I, by the way, okay, I, those, really? I learned those lessons in Africa. 
<laughs> where people were like, this dude is hyped. <laughs> yeah, me too, yeah. Well, you know, I'm hyped. always drawn back to that that scripture of, you know, God cares, like the sparrows, they sing. They don't worry about where their food's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And how much more valuable are you to God than a sparrow, right? And, and you have to, that's what I'm working through right now. That's my big kind of spiritual struggle right now to, let, um, me, let me ask you a question. Let go of those like trappings, you know, of let all the stuff and all of the plans and all that. Just let it go. It's proper. It's the proper spiritual path. I don't think it's a debate. I think it, I'm, it, anybody who's searching for something like a spiritual answer has, they're going to have to let go of their propositions and also their control over their life. That's how it works. Yeah. That's what God is yeah. on some level. Let go. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, this is talk person to person, man to man for one second. <laughs> can you do it though? Like how far down the rabbit hole can you go before you realize, wait, am I going to pay rent? Like when do the thoughts creep back in? For me, it's every day. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. It's almost every day that I start to question my true intentions within the christian you know church like the orthodox Mm. almost every day i'm like i'm not really i don't yeah i'm gonna worry about i'm worrying about more than six months out. i'm gonna worry about the next six years and i'm gonna plan Mm. it all and i'm gonna get it done i that's me on any given day and then there's a quiet prayer moment where i'm like okay that's gotta stop but it's Mm. hard oh yeah i I agree. With you. I mean, I I work in a job where we try to quantize, quantify everything, right? Like that's my job. My job is to quantify productivity. Right? So, by the way, that's my job. I got problems with that, but I got it. You got to do it. I know. Oh, me too. Trust me. I I do too. Like the most important things cannot show up on a spreadsheet. The most important things about running a business do not show up on a spreadsheet. No my job is to make spreadsheets, right? So. So yeah, I'm working through this, but, but I, I'm saying like the beautiful thing about orthodoxy is that it presents you with these paradoxes. They're, they're, they're like the Christian version of Cohen's almost where mm-hmm. it's a paradox that you're presented with that you got to spend some time with yeah. and you have to hold both sides of it as true. Right. And you just have to hold it, hold their intention. Right. And you just have to sit with that. I love that. Love that. And, and that tension is what holds you there. Yeah. It's what holds your attention. It's what allows you to draw into attention. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the background I had in, in meditation because it gave me a tool set to enter into prayer properly in yeah. Christianity. Right. Like, like I kind of feel like I had a start where I, I already knew how to do the, you know, the quiet, the mind and the thoughts and get down. But there is this, these, these, these paradoxes like you're talking about don't worry about you know where your next meal is coming from but your wife is going to ask you (laughs) (laughs) right your daughter's like on dad what we eating and you go right like there's a there is a world like we are in the world we are embodied yes and we don't have to worry about it. Like God will provide for it, but we can't ignore, we don't, especially as a family, we've chosen the world. We've chosen the marriage path, right? Yeah. We didn't choose the, mon- the monastic path and the marriage path is a different struggle. And I don't think we need to become monks 
like just living a marriage properly is mon is a monastic life. Well, that, right? when we conceived it's of that this, struggle, when we conceived of this immersion series, guys like you popped up, and this is wonderful. But we thought we could just interview anyone who's ever been married <laughs> because they're upside <laughs> down. <laughs> they dove in, yeah, and got all sideways, you know. And it's supposed yeah, to be yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, right. It's dealing, you know. So th th this ties into this ties into something that this is a theme that's playing out recently in my life, and it has to do with fantasy selves and fantasy. Like, I I realized I had this really, I was really prone to being with someone, and I was like amped up and excited, like I'm an excitable person, and I would like start building a caricature of this person in my mind. Mm -hmm all of my fantasy things that I wanted someone to be like. And then I was convinced that this person was like that. And I was looking for all the evidence that they were and ignoring all of the evidence that they weren't. And then you get in a relationship with them and you get married to them. And then you find out that Good it was luck. just yeah. in your head. Right. And then, so what I'm realizing now is that I've done the same to myself. Like, like I'm the biggest obstacle in my spiritual journey. Like I have all of these fantasy selves that I've built up and, and like three quarters of my belong to those fantasy selves right so now i have to go through and crucify each one of them and then just get rid of the stuff that belonged to that one you know and that one and that one and 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 you're whittling down to the essence and and i wasn't aware of any of that before orthodoxy right right that is the window that's the light that starts coming into the house when you start opening the curtains and you go Oh, this is dirty, <laughs> you know. So you're uh, describing, so the 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 upside down the thing for this show we're calling the upside down the immersion shit of the Mormon mission moment in your life, really is different than the upside down of this process of going through and becoming Orthodox and crucifying. Yeah. What makes it different, and maybe that's where we'll we'll put a little bit of a an end to it. What what that's nice what's what's the difference because this isn't to this isn't to go you know hard on mormonism that's not no, really no. what this podcast no. is about no no i'm grateful for what i learned there exactly. i'm very grateful right. for the discipline and the i mean dude you're going out 12 hours a day on your own no one's making you yeah i think for two years that's, that's seven days a week that, that's a deep upside down man that's that's hard to yeah do. yeah it is it's extremely difficult and 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 so there is something to be said for that, but the difference is I don't think the Mormons have as clear of a understanding or, a, you know, understanding is such a dumb word because it's there. Theirs is largely just propositional. And I'm saying it's the difference in understanding pride and how it manifests and it's the difference in having a spiritual father who's been through, mm. you know, I mean, we had a mission president. We had an, uh, an elderly gentleman who had been a missionary when he was a young man, mm. was very successful. He was the Utah State Attorney General. And then he came out and he was there for three years. So he was the one who was kind of our spiritual support, our spiritual mm. father. So we had that. But you know, you're stripped of all support structure. Like you, you know, we had an ancillary relationship with the church because we're, you know, we're transients basically. Um, we're moving churches every four to six months. And so you're really kind of tied to your companion, the mission president and God. Right. And, 
And to start building that relationship with God in the way that you understand it in that point. But I think the difference is that Mormonism is still kind of siloed, and they don't have a good mechanism or a good pattern or a good ritual for dealing with spiritual struggle. I mean, really, the answer is read your scriptures more and pray more and be more obedient because everything that's happening to you is because you're falling down in one of those areas. It's very, it's very like legalistic and accusatory almost, you know, and, and that's how I took it. And I'm not saying that's how they meant it. I'm not, I'm just saying that was the effect it had on me. And, 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 and their understanding of the atonement is what affects this. Right. So their understanding of the atonement is very legalistic. They definitely believe in a substitutionary atonement model. And that is what set you up for that pride despair cycle yeah, that yeah. I no went through constantly. Despair, anxiety, pride, you know, elation, you know, all that. Like, it's just like, it's a very destructive spiritual cycle. It's probably the worst thing that you can do to yourself spiritually or one of them, you know, it was just awful. Yeah. And, and that's what I got ingrained in. And that's what I thought was spirituality. Yeah. And in orthodoxy, your priest goes, yeah, of course you're going to be confessing the same things every every time. Why would sure? You're not going to. You think you're going to overcome it? Like you're weak. But see, <laughs> you're nothing. You're human. Of course you are. Right. That's what Thomas for. But you're here. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It, it it's. You have to participate, and the participation will heal you. That's right. But it will also reveal. That's right. Right. It it reveals the weakness and heals it in parallel not at the same time parallel right again everything is both and in the same way god became man so that man could become god everything is intertwined that's why the new gender movement they're they're groping towards something real which is yeah of course men and women participate one another in their natures i don't have a utterly separate nature from i understand this any ancient faith, any ancient wisdom understands that. They understand that. But the idea that you can't set a binary, that you can't set two poles, you do both. Both exist at the same time. And so, yeah. of course, there's a man and a woman. And, of course, men and women have, that in the Venn diagram, they cross over. They share natures. We get that. Right. That's right. not hard to understand for the ancient East, even for Muslims, it's not hard to understand that. Unfortunately, we've fallen into this trap that things can't, that the postmoderns want it to be, there is no poles. And right. the enlightened philosophers can't stand the contradictions. So, Correct. They cannot, res- they cannot stand paradox. Yeah, they, they, like their whole, that's the, that's the enlightenment project, right? Is to eliminate paradox. That's right. Yeah, anything that's paradoxical is nonsensical. So let's throw it out. Right. It's like, mm, man, you you lose a lot. (laughs) And at the risk of sounding like just some orthodox, you know, Yahoo apologetic dude, there's a way down the middle. It's it's just no one's going to, you're not going to walk it. Jeremy, you and I aren't going to make it. But Christ is, he's the middle way, you know, borrowing from Buddhism. Yeah. It's obvious. I don't what happened to me with orthodoxy is history became obvious. As yes. a historian, 
orthodoxy allowed me to see the obvious that I couldn't see before. I was still on this mm -hmm. linear concept, the idea of, uh, you know, a linear world that ends in perfection. And it, it yeah, really is the progress and all that. Yeah. It's yeah. But yeah. bro, this is, this is good. I so agree with you. I, I just want to say, cause we've been going, I think we could keep going, but I know I'm sorry. I've <laughs> taken a lot of your time. I think you but. helped us though on our first emergency subseries, which is to say something like you went through this process and you don't, mm. you don't deny that, 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 that you don't deny it as a, as a, as a positive thing in your life. The, no, the, mission, the missionary work with, with Oh them. no, it was, it, it was immensely uh, beneficial. I mean, obviously I struggled, but that's not, that's, that's not a problem. <laughs> like it was, it was, it did rip me out of being a young man into being, you know, into, it ripped me out of being a boy into being a man or a young man anyway. Right. And it, and it, it gave me a framework for moving forward. Now I, you know, struggled a lot after that and made a ton of mistakes and fell into worldliness and despair and pride and, you know, degeneracy and gambling and all that. Right. Like I fell into all of that. But but I always had that to fall back to of yeah. like, you know, like you. The the point is, and and I think what you're trying to achieve with first things is that you're trying to put people in a place where they're stripped of all of the structure that they had that supported their worldview, and they're put into a different worldview, and then like like if I were going to give advice to someone who was doing that, I would just say just listen more just ask them like get curious about their culture and they're going to first like ignore you and first they're going to be like oh about that but if you show that you are if you just show up every day willing and quiet eventually they're going to take you aside it's and be it, like okay let me let me show you this yeah you know it's we have um a difficult we have a problem in the West um, that just work and product have been aligned in such a way where good work only happens when there's a product and the mm -hmm. product should look something like the plan that you went into the work with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I don't mind this. I'm, I'm like air conditioning, bro. I'm happy with it. Right. Yeah. I understand it. That, that's right. We're I'm on thinking. the internet right now. So it's, it's all <laughs> yeah. fine and dandy. That's, that's fine and dandy. But, um, we have someone coming on, uh, in a, in a couple of weeks, um, Esther lighthouse Meeks. She's a philosopher and she talks mm. about knowing as work. So mm. when I turned on this computer and started talking to you, I did not know you the way I know you now. I can retire this evening knowing I worked because mm. now I know about you. And that mm. is in and of itself, the product. It's yeah. this, you don't have to produce all the time to imagine yourself working. That is a very old world idea. Yeah. World. Well, and, and, and some of the results that uh, come from your work, you will not live to see. Right. So, so like when I was, there's a, like, I have a pioneer heritage. My relatives were Mormon pioneers. They were, they converted in England and came all the way here and walked from Illinois to Utah. Okay. One thing that there's a couple of things that are really cool about that. One is on their way, 
the people who came first, the pioneers who came first, were planting gardens all along the way. And they were measured, like they were, there was a guy who built an odometer for his wagon. It would count how many times the wheel went around, and it was accurate within like three miles over 1,200 miles, right? Phenomenal. Yeah, he hand-built the odometer for it. So so he was tracking how long it's going to be and keeping a journal. They all kept journals of what is this trip like, and they were sharing it. They were sending them back, you know, with messengers that would go back to the earlier parties to tell them mm-hmm. and then they were planting gardens along the way so they left in march well they're not going to be eating right but they were planting gardens for the people who come i still eat asparagus yeah for the people who are coming after them yeah right i still eat asparagus that was planted on the ditch banks the irrigation ditch banks to hold this the soil together they planted asparagus i still eat that right you go downtown, there's a, there's a couple of towns here. The main street is lined by these huge 100-year-old maple trees. It's beautiful. Well, the people who founded the city, they planted them. And they're not going to, they never saw them. But they don't, get to, they don't get to enjoy a beautiful Sunday afternoon drive in August mm-hmm. down Main Street to get an ice cream cone, right? Mm-hmm. That legacy is something that I'm trying to bring back of, like, don't worry about, like, today or how many views did i get or my followers all that nonsense right like create a library bro just create a library let people read yeah. them in 50 years 60 years 100 years yeah something where you can contribute something that lives past you or something that you somebody else wants to take up when you die or somebody else who at least gets to enjoy when you're not here as a they're participating in your identity that's how you stay alive yeah right Stay alive in other people's memory. You, so anyway, you're, you're, well, let's keep talking, man. We'll have you back. I would love it. It's yeah, I would love it. Is is really nice. It was. I I got emotional a great at one point. I thank you for that. <laughs> I like that emotionally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just was about to cry. That's that's all that means. Which is well, that that sock story, man. I mean, that's just you can't live through that without you well, know. You and I mean, it's been twenty five years, and I can't. Yeah. I can't think. I can't think of it. All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you to Jeremy Firth. Thank you, brother. This has uh, been really good. And, um, it's been a pleasure. Whoa, whoa. Get the flow, Jeremy Firth. That was, that was good. I loved that conversation. That's your immersion pod for today. We'll get back to the regular pods next week when we do heavy things lightly. But I love that. Man, there was a lot of information there about what it means to grow and how one grows and all the blessings and all the difficulties involved. Wow. So that's this podcast. That's Watar. It's brought to you by Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos of First Things Foundation. We are the nonprofit that sends people into the world, four continents currently, to do this thing called small project development using this model of deep immersionship where we learn local languages, not colonial languages. Well, we learn those too, but local languages where we try to create capacity and momentum for local change makers, folks we call impresarios. That's all we do. Create relationships, build projects. Share Watar with friends. Hit us up. Solid review on iTunes. Do all those things, and most of all, really consider consider that monthly donation by going right now 
into the link on this very show and clicking. And it'll take you right to where you got to go to be our monthly donor. We need you. It's big time. Come bufo. Au revoir. Peace out.